We have several things to do this evening, and so uh, let's go ahead and do our Bible study first. So if you want to get out your Bible and get out your notes, open to the book of Revelation, and we're going to be in chapter 10 uh, this evening, and I invite you to follow along with me as we work through uh, chapter 10. We will have our prayer time here after this lesson portion, and then there's another portion of the service at the end, toward the end. And then if you haven't noticed, there's uh, some delicious foods that have been provided, and we hope that you'll stay for a few minutes and uh, join the reception. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a few minutes. We haven't prayed yet, so let's go ahead and pray. Let's ask the Lord to guide us into his word this evening. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We love you. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for uh, finding us. Lord, we weren't seeking after you. You were seeking after us. And Lord, because of that, we are your children. We love you because you first loved us. So tonight, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll continue to help us to understand the revelation. I'm trying to do my best to explain it as simple as I possibly can because I need it that way. But I pray that it's being beneficial uh, to others as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're in Revelation 10 this evening, and that's where we're going to be reading from in just a few minutes. Let me just take you back, just briefly, if I can go back to sort of the beginning of the tribulation, the rapture of the church takes place. There may be a gap of some short period of time before some of these events of the tribulation begin to unfold, but it wouldn't be very long. Very quickly, the tribulation begins to unfold. And in chapter 6, we were introduced to those, to those beginning judgments. They're called uh, the, the, uh, the seal judgments. Uh, the scroll, as you break a seal, each one of them reveals another judgment, another judgment, another judgment. It's in those six uh, judgments that we find in chapter 6 that we find the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Everybody likes to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, they're found in those first uh, of the judgments. And as you're seeing those judgments, you're moving chronologically from day one right through the first 21 months uh, of the tribulation period. Then there's a break. You get to chapter 7. If you remember, there's an interlude. He says, after these things. He doesn't mean after these things chronologically, like these six things have occurred, now this next thing occurs. He's saying, after these things, God shows me something that I hadn't seen before, something that he hadn't shown me before. And in that chapter, we are told about 144,000 witnesses. And we learn that those witnesses have been moving across the earth. They've been sharing the gospel, 144 Jewish, 144,000 Jewish witnesses that have been witnessing and sharing the gospel. And people have been coming to faith. Because in chapter 6, we meet martyrs. Where do the martyrs come from? Well, there's been people preaching the gospel. And then we get to chapter 8, and we're introduced to the, the uh, seven trumpet judgments. With the breaking of the seventh seal comes the seven trumpet judgments. And with each of those judgments, you're moving through the next 21 months. So you're getting up to 42 months, and you're moving through those next uh, judgments that come on the earth. But when you get to chapter 10, there is another of those intervals, like in chapter 7 where the chronology just sort of stops for a few moments to give you some detail, to fill in some detail for you. When you get to chapter 10, uh, you, you discover that there's another one of these uh, 
interludes, one of these interval periods when you're going to get some color, some detail that you didn't have before. And that's going to go into chapter 11. We won't get all the way into chapter 11 tonight because of the, the various things that we're doing, but we'll get towards chapter 11. But in this interval period, you're going to get some more detail that you didn't have before. And you're going to ultimately be introduced, when we get to chapter 11, we get into chapter 12, you're going to be introduced to seven of the key figures that are going to be would be working and functioning during the course of the tribulation. So did I lose everybody? You start the tribulation, there's these six judgments that you see happening. There's that interlude that we get a little extra detail to know that there's witnesses sharing the gospel. Then the chronology picks up again. There's seven more judgments that begin to unfold. It brings us to the 42 months. And when you get to the middle of the tribulation, you get this interval again in chapter 10. And uh, you're introduced to these characters. And so we pick up in chapter 10 in this interlude. Uh, we're getting more detail. Chapter 10, verse 1. And I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. That's an interesting way to describe the angel. He's a mighty angel. He's coming down from heaven. He's clothed. This cloud is his clothing. He continues, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. So let's just stop here and talk for a few minutes about this mighty angel. There's different opinions as to who this angel can be. So I'm just going to just tell you that right up front. Some believe it is another of the angels of heaven, one of the mighty angels like Michael, uh, there are some who believe that this is a description of Jesus Christ, and uh, they think that this is Christ who is coming down. But I, I'm not going to get into all of the details on that, but I'm going to give you some reasons why I believe this is not Jesus and why I believe this is just, <laughs> just an angel, you know, just, just an angel. But it's, it's another one of these mighty angels. First of all, the word another, it means another of the same kind. Now, Jesus wouldn't be the same kind. He would be another of a different kind. The second reason is because this angel is seen taking an oath. And we know that there's no one greater than God by whom he can swear. We learn that from the book of Hebrews. And yet this angel will swear by someone greater than himself. A third reason is because uh, since this angel isn't identified... Uh, every time Jesus is identified in the book of Revelation, he's always identified with a specific title, a specific name. Let, let, me, let me show you what I mean by that. Let's just go back, if we can, for a moment. Look, look at chapter 6. That's the nearest one to us. Uh, chapter 6, in, in verse 1. Notice what he says. When he talks about Jesus, he didn't refer to him as an angel in the Revelation. In chapter 6, verse 1, now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Or, or look, if you will, at verse 16. He says, and he said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us uh, from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Or in chapter 7, verse 17, uh, he does it again, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne. So if you look through the revelation, Jesus is referred to by a title, not by an indistinct uh, description of, of an angel. Uh, it is true that in the Old Testament that Jesus is called the angel of the Lord. You, you realize Jesus appears in the Old Testament. 
It's called the angel of the Lord, those special appearances, those special occasions. But he's never called the angel of the Lord in the New Testament. You'll notice as well that this particular angel is holding a book in his hand. Jesus was holding what in his hand when we last saw him? He was holding a scroll, right? Not a book. Two, two different things all together. And then one final reason that I don't, I don't believe this is Jesus, I believe it's an angel, is because this angel comes down to earth, and there is no record that we have of Jesus coming to the earth before the second coming, when he comes to establish his kingdom on earth. And so I think most likely that this angel is one of the mighty angels. It could be Michael. His name means who is strong like God. Or one of the other mighty angels of heaven. There's no shortage of those, I guess you realize. There's no shortage of those uh, in heaven. And we, we continue with verse, verses 2 and 3. And he had a little book open in his hand. Not a scroll. Had a book open in his hand. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. That's a position of authority. But that's also a position of judgment. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. You, you've probably been to a zoo somewhere and you've uh, been around where the lions are. And have you ever heard one of them roar? Probably not close to you. Hopefully not close to you. Uh, but you, you ever heard a lion roar? I mean, just when he opens his mouth and begins to roar, it's, it's intimidating, isn't it? And that, that's the impression that you get here. When this angel speaks, I mean, the voice of this angel is like a lion roaring. It gets your attention. It, it causes you to shiver. I mean, what, what's going on here? Who's, who is this speaking? Speaking with such authority. And he goes on, and when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And obviously, these thunders are more than just what we think of as thunder. You, you've been outside when there's been the claps of thunder, and it just almost rattled you to the core of your being, right? That's the idea. But these, these, these thunders have voices of their own. That They have things that they're going to, to say. And actually, we're not going to learn what these thunders actually say. But you know that because they're speaking, there's such authority and such power. And so this angel speaks. These thunders speak. It's just a way for him to say to us, there, there is great power in the one who is speaking and about to give us a message. Verse 4. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. So they're, they're saying something that's intelligible, something that could have been written down. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Why would God do that? Isn't this the revelation? Isn't this where he's saying, let me reveal to you these things? I think the probable, probable reason for that is because it would have taken away from the, uh, what's the image that you're about to get in these coming verses. If you'd have been taken up with exactly what these thunders said, you might have missed the, the greater message that was being communicated here. And what is that message? Verses 5 and 6. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the, on the land lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. There he is swearing by someone greater than himself, meaning that this most likely can't be Christ, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be no delay no longer. Now, just reading through verses 5 and 6, I'm hit again with the reality of creation. I realize that science says that we're millions, if not billions, of years old. 
Things have been evolving over a long period of time. But you know, one of the things I've taken away from, I told you I think last week, I'm reading through the Bible just as quickly as I can, just devouring as many passages, as many verses, as many chapters as I can. If you ever do that, sometimes just take note of how many times the Bible speaks about creation. It speaks about creation and God creating over and over and over again. And here we are in chapter uh, 10 of the Revelation, and he's speaking again about creation, that God is over creation. He creates everything that there is, things that are in the sea. Everything exists because uh, he brought it into existence. But then he says this going to delay no longer. In other words, the punishment, the judgment is about to fall and everything's about to happen very quickly. We're going to move very quickly from this point forward. Time is running out. That's the point. God's final judgments were about to fall. Verses 7 and 8. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, we're not going to hear him sound tonight. That won't happen until the next chapter. But when he's about to sound, the mystery of God will be finished as he declared to his servant the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, "Take, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so this angelic creature, this mighty, powerful angelic creature that when he speaks, it's intimidating, it's powerful. He tells John, John is supposed to go and take the book out of his hand. He's going to do something with that book here in just a moment. But he says to go take that little book out of his hand. And so John goes and he does what he's told to do. Um, I'm going to make a note here, if I can, with you. Um, He says the mystery of God. You see that? What's interesting here about that phrase, the mystery of God, is that this is not a mystery in the sense that nobody has ever known this before. And the reason we know that is because in the middle of that verse, he says, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. This is a message that has been known before, but God is about to make it clear. He's about to bring clarity to it. This message that's been revealed to the prophets that they've known forever. Did you know that the Old Testament predicts the second coming of Jesus? Did you know that? Sure, you know that. Absolutely, you know that. There's the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, There's the restoration of Israel to the land. There's the reestablishing of worship. All those things are prophesied in the Old Testament. So what this angel is doing is he's, he's bringing clarity to that, making sure we understand what those prophets were talking about. And here's what comes, here comes a very strange passage. Chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. And I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. How'd you like to do that? And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will, it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but what I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. It's an unusual command, isn't it? Um, but the symbolism of the command is absolutely uh, essential. It's not, it's not new either. 
There's a couple of places in the Old Testament. Go back to the book of Ezekiel with me for a moment. Ezekiel chapter 2. Can you find Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 2. And listen to what he says in verse 9. Ezekiel is told to do something very similar. Jeremiah is told to do, to do something very similar. But, but notice what he says. Ezekiel chapter 2 verse 9. Now when I looked... There was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me. It's like he's putting the dinner on the table. And there was writing on the inside and on the outside written on it were lamentations and mournings, mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. He rolls it out like he's putting a meal out before him. I want you to eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. God tells Jeremiah to do something very similar to that. It's not all that unusual. Do you get the picture of what he's telling them? I, I want the word of God to become a part of you. I want this prophecy to become so much a part of you that it takes control of you. I want you to consume it so that when you speak it, you're speaking with authority. You're speaking uh, what is a part of you, not just something that you know about that somebody else knows about, but it's a part of you. You're telling something that's become a part of you. And he says when he tastes it, it's going to be like honey. That's okay. I like that part. Don't you? Any of you like honey? Anybody like honey? Uh, but I don't like the next part. He said, but when it gets to your stomach, it's going to be bitter. You ever uh, eaten something in a restaurant and you had food poisoning? <laughs> I, I, I can see I have a lot of fellow sufferers here. Uh, you've been there like I've been there. It's something that tasted delectable. I mean, it was wonderful to your palate. You thought, oh, man, this is so good. But there's some kind of, you know, uh, botulism or some kind of you know, whatever you have in food that didn't prepare it properly or that's you know been sitting out for too long and the result is it reaches your stomach and then what are you doing for the rest of the night don't, don't, don't say it out loud <laughs> don't, don't say it out loud I mean it just it just makes you sick you can't hardly stand it and what he's saying is I want you to eat this book it's going to taste good but the reality is the message that you're going to deliver is going to be a bitter message, and I want it to come out of your very being. Um, I, I can illustrate this, I think, for you. When we talk about hell, the truth about hell should have become so much a part of us that we can't speak about the subject without having a heart that's broken. Have you ever heard somebody talking about a very painful subject and then almost like they were gloating in it and enjoying it? That's what God doesn't want John to do. He doesn't want John to gloat in this or to feel good about this. This message is a bitter message. It's got to be delivered. You've got to say what the message is. You can't keep it quiet. And it will taste good to you when you first put it in your mouth, but when it gets to your stomach, it's going to be awful. And... It's going to cause all kinds of problems. And you're going to have to go to the peoples, the nations, the tongues, and the kings. And you're going to have to deliver that message. And so John is going to do that very thing. And you're going to be introduced beginning in verse 10, or excuse me, chapter 11, verse 1, not verse 10. In chapter 11, verse 1, you're going to start being introduced to some of the things, some of the characters that play out during the tribulation. 
You're going to meet Israel. Of course, Israel is central to what's going on during the tribulation. You're going to meet the false prophet. You're going to meet other characters, these other seven characters that come in the following chapters that take us through chapter 13 and verse 18. And those characters, as they come to the scene, we begin to see them, we begin to understand why yeah, viewing this or tasting this was good at first, but now you see the bitterness of it, and, and it's a horrendous thing. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. We'll be looking at those characters. And so tonight we look at a short chapter, chapter 10. It's an interlude. Actually, the interlude goes all the way through into the first part of chapter 11 before those characters are introduced to us. But you get the idea of what's coming. We're going to introduce ourselves to some characters that we'll find during the tribulation.